Greetings and welcome to Flanagan's Ecologic. I am your host, Ted Flanagan, and we're going to be talking about jeans today and uh, sustainable fashion with Chris John Hansen. He's the founder of Slow, which is a, a jeans brand that is uh, eco-conscious and making waves. So excited to have Chris John on this show telling us his story. Hey, Chris John, welcome to the podcast. How are you today? I'm great, thanks. How are you? I'm doing really good. Now, where are where are you today? Uh, I'm I'm in Dubai today. <laughs> With uh, is it ninety seven thousand other people? Yes, a ridiculous amount of people. Uh, yeah, it's it's been a busy busy uh, week. Oh, that is great. Well, actually, thank you very much for being there. I we I so appreciate all of our all of our colleagues that are there and contributing and. Then, moving the moving the needle and i guess we could have maybe after you come back we could have a whole other discussion about about cop 28 and and your impressions but tell me sure. um tell me we really wanted to get into your your company and your business model and your passion and uh you know you're you've been called the jeans guy a denim powerhouse uh how did that how did that come about it's uh it's kind of it's kind of a funny story, uh, COVID inspired story. Uh, back back in the middle of the pandemic, um, I was incredibly broke, as many people were. I was between jobs. I had been kind of laid off, and I was working in fashion, um, but I was working in sourcing, which required a lot of traveling. And so all of a sudden, I didn't really have a job. And uh, one day, I was like, "Hey, I need some new clothes. Uh, let's go to a thrift shop." And I, so I just rolled up at a thrift shop. I enjoy thrifting. You know, it's a great way to give clothes a second life. And uh, but it was the middle of COVID, so there was no changing rooms. We were still in the middle of that, you know, six feet, you know, distance at yeah. all times kind of ideology. Yeah. And uh, so you decided to buy things. And so I grabbed this pair of jeans off the rack and was like, "Great, put them up against myself. I'm six foot three, so if something is my length, I usually I'm happy." Yeah. And uh, I took them home and I put them on the next day, and I realized they didn't have any pockets. And I was like, "Oh my god, these are women's jeans." how first off how are there women's jeans that fit me second of yeah. all these are terrible this is awful these are supposed to be like a high quality brand they're like they're calvin Klein's. i think those be good quality jeans yeah. i didn't know who to say i didn't know who to talk to i was by myself in the middle of the pandemic i made a TikTok. i had like 50 followers at the time and i just said ladies is this what you deal with this is awful like where are your pockets where do you put your phone where do you put your stuff Right. And I was getting on the Metro at that time. I hit post. I got on the Metro. By the time I got off at my stop, it had like 500,000 views. And I was just blown away. I was like, oh, my That's God, incredible. this is something. And yeah. that was the beginning of the craziest like two-year journey of my life where now I make jeans. And I have my own factory that makes jeans. And I never anticipated anything to come out of it. But that's the story. Yeah, let's let oh, that's an incredible story. Let let's go all the way. Let's go all the way back. Born and raised. Where where were you from? So I was born in in Calgary in Canada, um, but uh, basically immediately when uh, I was about three years old, moved to Dubai. Uh, so I actually I grew up here in Dubai. Um, so okay. this is kind of a nice. Uh, I was really excited that basically this 
this event was happening here because I'm seeing my family. My family still lives here. This is very much home for me. So yeah, I spent uh, basically 15 years in Dubai, and then I went to um, I went to boarding school for the end of high school, and I went to uh, university in uh, in the states as well. And then basically, I've just been bouncing around the world ever since uh, since then. So is that how 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 do you think that's influenced you? Um, you know, growing up in Dubai, I was just there a, c- a couple of years ago, and what an what an extraordinary city! But how how's that influenced yeah. you? Do you think more entrepreneurial? It's, sort of go for the, shoot for the stars. What what do you think? Totally. I mean, the the I would not be the same person if I hadn't yeah. grown up here because there's this ideology here that nothing is impossible. Like they they. The craziest idea in the world that 99.9% of cities would go, oh my God, no, we would never spend money on that. We, we, that's just, that's ridiculous. Like that's not even within the laws of physics. They're like, if it's, yeah, let's try. And sometimes it doesn't work. Right. And that's, and they're like, okay, yeah, it didn't work next. And so when I got here in 2002, it was a sandbox. Like literally, we didn't even have a paved street. We we're living in this little community in the middle of nowhere in what is now downtown Dubai. Like the Burj Khalifa, the world's right. tallest yeah. building, wasn't even there. There was right. nothing. And so I think really I got to grow up with this city. Like as, as I grew, the city grew. And so like I'm very connected you know, to this place and to the people here. And it's completely changed my perspective on, on the world and entrepreneurship and what we can accomplish as humans, because the, the accomplishment here is just unbelievable. What a great, what a great, what a great story. And, and yet you went off to university of Pennsylvania and I think you were studying climate change and, and, and policy or is that right? I was uh, data analytics, but uh, okay. I basically was doing uh, climate science at the same time as kind of like a minor Okay. Um, I was yeah. mostly what I was really passionate about, but uh, my parents were very keen on making sure I had a quote unquote employable degree. <laughs> yeah, right. You put business right in there, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then you did Harvard Business School. I didn't know you could do it online, but you, you that, that's, a, that's a wonderful accomplishment as well, of course. Yeah, they, they have some phenomenal courses uh, online, some really great um, basically like certificate programs that give you hbs level programming on demand in a really great you know setting with really great people um really transformative and it's it's uh, the, the barrier for entry is far lower than people would imagine in a, in a good in a good way and in a you know i wouldn't say in a bad way but a lot of people think oh my god i'm never going to get in there it's fantastic you know it's really created an environment where people can learn from some of the best institutes in the world you know from the comfort of their home uh, yeah. i'm really you know really privileged to have had the opportunity were you, were you focused at that time on sustainability? I would say always. I mean, always. it's it's been a lifelong passion, really. Um, it, it comes beyond even just sustainability. But, you know, I'm very motivated by the human side of kind of the climate crisis. And, you know, having, you know, I've been very fortunate to travel a lot now. I've been to, to been to over 70 countries. Um, and I, I just, I've seen now just about every level of socioeconomic status and just about every type of person imaginable that I could even imagine. I'm sure there's many, many more I'd be naive to think otherwise, but to see how the climate crisis is affecting different groups very disproportionately and groups of people that have already really been horribly unlucky as a result of history and you know just the way that kind of due course has run itself 
um, was something that really bothered me. And being in fashion, you know, my first couple of jobs were working for fast fashion companies that were using very exploitive labor in places like Bangladesh and Pakistan and India and China mm -hmm. and Vietnam. And to see these multi-billion dollar companies just with complete disregard for the planet, you know, in their production process. And then even worse, in my opinion, the complete disregard for the humans in their process. That's what completely motivates me every day to try and fight, you know, in this industry and change things. I am the opposite of a materialistic person. I just want so badly for there to be a really systemic change in the way that people are, you know, uh, treated in this kind of capitalistic society that we live in. And at the same regard, making sure that the planet is just as important because they have to go hand in hand in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. And this, this whole notion of fast fashion, you know, I know nothing about fashion at all. And uh, so you're educating me, but I, it was a number of years ago that I was alerted to this whole notion of fast fashion, which what you're often the clothing is just used once even. It can be. I mean, fast fashion in terms of the terminology has really come around. It, it kind of was born in the early 2000s. And, and, you know, what was previously very seasonal, you know, up until really the late 90s and always there had been three, maybe four collections per year. You'd have your spring, you'd have your fall, you'd have your winter, you'd have your summer. And mm -hmm. if you walked into a store at the beginning of October and you walked in there at the end of, you know, end of October, the same things are going to be in that store. That's the collection. It's the season. Enjoy Ralph Lauren fall. That's that. You know, that's what it okay. is. Yeah. In the early 2000s, once they started rapidly shifting manufacturing overseas and they started removing manufacturing in North America and other places that were far costlier, they yeah. started going, hey, we can do two fall collections. Just we can do two out, summer yeah. collections. And yeah. now we're at a point where there are companies that do a collection per week. They do 52 collections per year. Yeah. And that speed and that basically consumer demand that they've created has just meant lower quality, lower prices, lower ethical standards. And yeah. as a result, we've created this consumer ideology where, oh, it's a $10 shirt. I'll buy it to wear it to this event tonight. It doesn't matter if I never wear it again. Whereas 20 years ago, it'd be like, wow, it's a really nice shirt. I'm going to buy that. I'm going to keep that in my closet. I might even hand that down to my kids one day. You know, it's a generational piece. And it's really rapidly changed the way that people think about fashion. Right, right. And as, you're, as you've really point, pointed out already, it's exploiting the people that are making it. Massively, massively. And in a way that is even more challenging because uh, the argument from these companies is well, we're employing them and we're giving them work and we're propping up the economies of these countries. You know, Bangladesh, their number one export is textiles, you know, Turkey and you know, our number one ex you know, export is textiles and we're giving them orders and we're get. but you know, these companies, they go in there and they say, yeah, you're going to make me jeans and you're going to make me jeans. They're not going to cost me more than $7, you know, a pair and that's it. And that's, that's our price. And these guys take the orders because they need them. And that's the price that's set. Yeah. And if you think about it, if they're paying $7, what are they paying the people? You know, yeah. it's pennies. And yeah. I've seen it firsthand. And it's, uh, it's a serious problem. You know, fashion makes up more carbon than both maritime shipping and aviation combined. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. Okay. So maybe around 4%. Those are each a couple percent, aren't they? It's about 11% fashion. 11% fashion is, okay.
Yeah. And so yeah. that, so that, that's all the way, th- all, the whole, all the way through, uh, I guess, uh, growing cotton or Correct. harvesting oil or, you know, whatever, whatever you're going to do, whether it's natural or synthetic, um, fabricating mills, textile mills, the, the, the whole bit, the, uh, the whole supply chain, right? All the way through. Correct. And that's interesting. And it's, and including the, the really nasty part of it as well, the unsold and the returns, you know, yeah. we've created this, 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 society where now it's okay to buy something and return it and a lot of those products are not being put back into sales cycles they're being you know thrown into landfills and billions of pounds of textile waste from un you know unworn garments they still have their tags on them are ending up in landfills around the world full of synthetic materials that take hundreds of years to break down and, you know, it's, it's, it's a very vicious cycle that unless we do something about very quickly, it's just going to continue to grow. And that 11% is estimated that it could eventually become 15% within the next yeah. decade. Okay. So let's go back to your story. You know, you, you've, you've been to the thrift shop, you accidentally bought the, the women's pocketless, whatever slacks, I guess, and you realize how cheap they were. And you, you know, you, you, you're, you're a savvy entrepreneurial kind of a guy. How did you take it from there? You, oh, you had the TikTok. You had all the comments from all yeah. the other from all the other women that were saying, "Hey, I'll tell you something." This, but still, what do you do with all those comments? Yeah, you know, at that point, I kind of had this this feeling. I was like, "Okay, this is either going to be fifteen minutes of fame, or I can make something out of this." And you know, I did not want it to just be fifteen minutes of fame. And I sat down and I just thought, and I was trying to figure out, okay, what can I do with this? And I just thought, you know what? I'm just going to ask questions and just see what answers I get. And so I just started asking questions. What's wrong with your jeans? What's wrong with, you know, what describe your dream jeans? Tell me, you know, in a perfect world, what X, Y, and Z looks like. Can you fill out this form and tell me what you're keen on? Give me your preferences. And, you know, over the course of about eight months, I collected almost 700,000 data points. And I took all of that. I built a program to analyze all that data and from that, we built our first prototype gene. And that was basically where we went. It was like, look, you all gave me this feedback. I took that feedback. I made this product. If you want to buy the product, we're going to launch it next month. And what is the product now? I mean, I mean I, obviously, it's not going to be fast fashion. You've named the company Slow or the gene brand. But is it a, a, high, a very durable? Uh, what, what is it beyond durable, I guess? question for you. So the idea is basically that uh, we're made to order company. So every order is basically created for you. So rather than holding stock, when you buy jeans from us, we make them. And so we have the largest size set available. So we're encouraging, you know, very well fitting jeans. So we don't get returns for sizes. We use very sustainable denims from eco-friendly dyes through the washing process, through the manufacturing process. I have my own manufacturing facility now. So basically we can create these end to end in a way that no one else on earth can do so because we have a very purpose built facility for it. And so as a result, we call it slow fashion because it takes me about 30 days to produce them for you. And we basically show you the entire process. You come and you order your jeans. I show you, okay, hey, we're cutting your jeans today. This is the fabric that we're using. Okay, we're sewing your jeans. This is the person who's sewing your jeans. This is a little bit about them. Okay, we're washing them. This is how we're doing a sustainable wash on them. All the way down to we ship them directly from the factory straight to your door. And so our model is basically to try and streamline it, 
to the most sustainable production model we possibly can without producing any extra garments. Yeah, how cool. How cool is that? Well, I have so many questions. Uh, the sizing, the way you do sizing, it looked to me when I looked online that the, uh, somebody like me would just take pictures of my body yeah. uh, and somehow miraculously you end up with the right size. Correct. Yeah. So we use a really amazing, powerful uh, AI sizing platform uh, called 3D Look, and they're a great partner of ours. Um, basically, yeah, you you open up the platform, you take two photos of yourself, a front facing profile and a side profile. And from those two photos, we can capture 90 measurements of your body with 98% accuracy. We're within like half an inch everywhere. It's unbelievable. And so you give me those measurements. I then take those measurements and I match those measurements to a size within our very extensive size set. So we're not a made to measure company, you know, it's not mm. perfectly customized to every single inch of your body, but because we have so many sizing options, we get that near bespoke fit. That's better than anything you're going to get on the market, yeah. you know, off of the rack um, and allows us to somewhat standardize our manufacturing process. So we're not constantly creating, you know, new patterns right. all the time. Right. right. How many sizes are there? Did you say how many permutations do you have of, of the human frame? We've uh, we've done about 180 so far, um, mm -hmm. and in January we will be expanding to about 440. Great, great. <laughs> that sounds like a good fit. Now, where is the facility? Where, where are they being manufactured? So our facility is in Istanbul, in Turkey, and so um, that's where I've been for the last three months uh, renovating. Uh, we we got a great uh, space just outside of Istanbul, and um, yeah, we basically we tore the whole thing down. We've completely renovated it. We've implemented all of our tech into it and we're building basically a first of its kind manufacturing model. Wow. Now, why, why was, why was Istanbul the, the place to do that? You being a global guy, you could go anywhere in the world. So I, I did, I went everywhere to try and figure it out. I went, I went to India. I went to almost a dozen different places in India to try and figure out if that was a good fit. I, I went to the States. I went to Los Angeles, the old garment district to try and see if we could resurrect, you know, some things there. I live largely in Montreal where we had a garment district. We went everywhere that we possibly could Portugal, Spain, um, you know, parts of Eastern Europe, et cetera. But what really stood out about Istanbul was that for decades, uh, brands have been using Istanbul for what we can, what we call sample tailoring. So even if they're going to say do their mass production in China or Bangladesh or these different places, they would use designers and small micro factories in Istanbul to produce size sets and small runs of garments to show buyers or designers to show you know executives because they were really good as tailors. They have a very big tailoring background and so. It's one of the only places on earth that had these kind of micro factory setups and had the talent that would create these garments end to end. And so it was a perfect place for us where basically every single order we receive is almost a one of one and or needs to be handled very individually. So we came in and I spent about a month learning in all of these micro factories just every day trying to figure out something new. We took the best of the existing system and then we basically layer it on our own technology on top of it. And there's a limitless talent pool there that have been doing this type of production. Whereas in a lot of places, it's a very challenging uh, type of production. They're very used to the line model. Uh, whereas these guys end to end, they're very talented tailors. Oh, wow. It makes a lot of sense. Um, 
and then you got some seed money or, or you got you got a whole you crowdfunded this this, this venture didn't yes. you i Talk did yeah yeah yeah, on TikTok around that same time, are we taking all that feedback? It just kind of dawned on me. You know, I was actually getting, uh, you know, a fair amount of um, early stage, you know, venture capitalists reaching out, and you know, it was really flattering. But I was looking at it, and I just thought, you know what? It doesn't really make a lot of sense for me to go and take a bunch of multimillionaire and billionaire money and pour it behind this community-based slow fashion company, and you know, basically have it funded by all of the very same people that are also investing in our in our enemy. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I looked at as many different options as possible. And we stumbled upon WeFunder, which is a really, you know, amazing crowdfunding, you know, basically they call it the community round. And so I just posted it on TikTok and I said, hey, look, here's the deal. I don't know if this is going to work. But um, yeah, if you want to buy a stake in the project, you can invest as little as $100. And um, yeah, come on in. Let's let's see. And we raised a hundred thousand dollars in twenty-four hours, and <laughs> at that point, I was like, "Whoa, okay, we have something here." We have something that people we, really want. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. And so we ended up raising about three hundred thousand, um, and yeah, so we we raised three hundred thousand from that from that initial round. And had you built and, a prototype uh, pair of pants? Had you, had you had you built any pants or sewn any pants at that time? Just the, just the prototypes. So just, we hadn't done a launch yet. And yeah, yeah it was basically, look, this, we have this no is what's idea how look this like. basically, exactly. And we said, look, we don't know what we need to do, but I think we need, I, I was estimating, I think I need about a quarter million to make this happen. I had a small team of people. I knew it was going to take yeah. a lot of traveling and it was going to take a lot of tries. And um, we raised it. And so at that point, then about once that round closed, about a month later, we launched basically our first V1 and what we called like our soft launch. We basically said to people, we have no idea if this is going to work. We have no idea how these are going to be. If you want to buy them, feel free. If you want to wait, we don't blame you. And we had a phenomenal first launch. You mean of people actually buying, buying jeans? Correct. Yeah, and, and it was like 400,000 pairs or something, wasn't it? Something crazy like that? Uh, we were about $400,000 day one, you know. Oh, dollars. Okay, uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, so wow. Wow. Just, just crazy. Uh, and how long did I they was, have to, how, did, how long did they have to wait to get their jeans for you to fulfill all those orders? Almost six months. <laughs> it was a long, painstaking process of... <laughs> underestimation and uh yeah. completely not understanding what we were biting off and what we were going to have to chew and you know to be honest the perfect group of people purchased because they were just along for the yeah. ride and yeah. they were yeah. in it for the long haul and it was just like okay look i get them when i get them this is cool like this is you great. must you must have been pulling out your hair you must have had a lot of stress going on yeah, I mean, so much so, I literally ended up. I actually ended up in the hospital. I had so much stress. It was, oh, no it kidding. was bad. Yeah, yeah. it was. Uh, I I was traveling to and from. We were manufacturing in Italy at that point. I was traveling yeah. to and from Italy basically every week, and yeah. just like back and forth home. And I had operations in Montreal. I had to be there, and then I basically had this operation in Italy, and it was just back and forth and back and forth. And between the time zones and the stress and the delays and the problems, it was. Uh, it was the hardest thing I've ever done in my life, but yeah, we made it through. You made it through. Uh, good, good, good stuff. So then, I, I have to ask you just about a price. A price. Are these jeans super expensive? How much do they cost? 
So we initially sold them at $100. My goal was to try and make them as affordable as possible. Um, yeah. You know, we were looking at the the other kind of made-to-order denim on the market, which was in like the 200 to 350 plus dollar range. And I thought, you know what? Sustainable fashion brands have been around for decades. But the biggest problem for me has always been that they're completely inaccessible, especially for the target demographic. Like when I was in university, I wanted to wear sustainable brands, but I didn't have $100 for a T-shirt to rep a sustainable brand. And so something that always was really important to me was how do we make sustainable and ethical clothing at an affordable enough price point where people can actually make the conscious decision and go, wait, I can buy this. It's maybe a little bit more expensive than the fast fashion alternative, but I'm consciously making this decision because I understand that this is better for the world. And that's, you know, that's always been the key. And to be honest, right now, I'm even selling them, I'm even selling them cheaper. We're doing a sale right now because we've just opened the new factory. I'm doing the first 10,000 pairs at cost. I'm selling them at $48. Oh, that's great. You know, I, I think I fall prey to all the uh, several of the things that you've said. I, you know, I end up going to Costco. You can't try them on. I get what I think is right. They're nineteen bucks. You know, yeah. I, they're yeah. Levi's. I don't know what they are. I have no idea how. They're probably. You could tell me they're probably terribly uh, produced in terms of environmental impact. And then half the time they don't really fit. But then I don't return them for a while. I mean, it's just sort of. I, I maybe pick up two pairs to see if one will fit and. I mean, it's all that stuff, right? And so I think I, I, I really like your your model and your value proposition of a you know a decent price for the the right fit, a well made. It's going to last you a long time. Makes sense. Yeah, it's just I ask people this question all the time. On that point, it's just how much of your closet do you wear? And you know, most people will be like. 15%, maybe yeah. 20%, yeah. you know, and I go, why do you wear those things? You know, okay, you got a big dinner tomorrow night, or, you know, you're seeing an old friend tomorrow. You already can think in your head, if I said to you, what outfit are you going to wear tomorrow? You're seeing an old friend. You could probably tell me the exact shirt you're going to wear, the exact jeans you're going to wear, the exact shoes you're going to wear. Why? Is it because you care about where the fabric came from or anything? No, they fit and they make you feel good. Yeah. And yeah. It's a fundamental truth in fashion. And if you can make really good fitting products that last and that are built sustainably, you fix the fashion problem. And that's essentially what we're trying to do down to its core. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, Christian, what about what about next products? I mean, are how many how many how many uh, styles do you have or are you are you are you planning on moving beyond jeans um, in the future? Yeah, definitely. Okay. Yeah, so we, we do we do twelve thousand jeans right now, um, but basically coming next month, uh, we're going to start basically doing non-denim pants, so chinos and basically other kind of poly cotton type, but basically trying to eliminate the poly um, pants that you'd wear to the office to kind of like slightly more upscale occasions, and then in the summertime we're going to be moving into shorts and trying to kind of get into that dimension as well. So our goal is to remain kind of in pants for the time being to try and solve that, you know, sizing issue first, but pants of all variety. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, wow. What a, what a great, what a great thing. And, uh, you, you mentioned that, you know, you got pretty darn stressed out. Um, you're looking good now. (laughs) You got through it. Like you said, how do you, how, what, what else do you do in your life other than manufacturing, marketing, manufacturing pants? What else do you like for the last, 
for the last year, it's basically been this, but, you know, in terms of, of, you know, in my personal time, I'm, um, I love, I'm a very, very stereotypically Canadian. I love to play hockey. Um, big hockey player. I grew up playing hockey. It was my dream, you know, to play forever. And unfortunately my, my one hip had different plans for me. Um, but you know, that's, that's really my passion. I, I play with my dad when I'm here in Dubai, we played this morning together, you know, it's a big family occasion. So it's something that really is, is important and, and grounds me. Yeah. And, uh, how about, you know, what, what advice would you give to other, um, I guess, supercharged entrepreneurs like yourself who are, you know, at the, at the, at the beginning of that, that, <laughs> that large hurdle that you have to get over. Find your people. And, you know, that sounds really cliche, but we've actually never been in a better position ever in the history of humanity to be able for literally zero dollars. I've never spent a dollar on advertising to find these hundreds of thousands of people who follow my TikTok accounts and everything. I don't spend any dollars on advertising. You can post a video online. And if you're genuinely passionate and you're genuine, you know, in your mission, you will find people that resonate with what you're saying. And there's lots of people that are really afraid to get in front of the camera. And they're really afraid that, you know, they look, you know, they don't look like, you know, a Hollywood actor or anything like that. Or, oh, I'm not a camera person or just do it. Make a hundred videos, literally go open a TikTok account, make a hundred videos. <laughs> and I guarantee that within those a hundred videos of you just doing things that you're passionate about, few of them will go viral. A few of them will attract your exact people that are keen on what you're doing. And now you have a community. And now you're not doing it alone. And now you have access to that feedback loop, just like I did. You can say to them, what do you want to see? What am I doing? How am I doing? And you can take that feedback and it's just going to speed up your process 10x. And it's never been easier and it is completely free. And if you have a smartphone, you have the ability to build a community of a million people. Great advice. Great conversation. Congratulations on your on your progress thus far i want to buy Thank a you. pair of your I'll, I'll buy a pair of your jeans and and i'll look forward to, uh, to reconnecting with you in a couple of years amazing well yeah thanks thanks for the opportunity this has been really great all right that's it thanks for listening to flanagan's ecologic we'll see you next time